0: Hey there, it's your hostess, Riley Reed, the creator of Woke Beauty. Hey, I have to let you know, we finally launched the brand new website, wokebeauty.com. Been working on it since February, and I wrote all the copy. Very proud and would so appreciate you giving it a look. The Woke Beauty podcast brings you unfiltered conversations with a myriad of female visionaries who have achieved personal success despite the difficult obstacles of life. No matter who we're in conversation with, everything always ties back to her, her work, her dreams, her essence. This show is part of our pledge to showcase the power of women's resilience and the impact of perspective. Allegra Moet Brantley is on a mission to lead 1 million women to $1 million in net worth. To do so, she founded Factora Wealth, an online course and community that educates and empowers women to build real wealth together. A serial entrepreneur, real estate investor, dog lover, and Texan since 2017, Allegra is deeply passionate about helping women learn how to invest in financial freedom. A little sad heads up, my beautiful Audio-Technica microphone was not in sync with our recording platform. So, unfortunately, in regards to my audio, you are getting my computer microphone, but you can still hear my voice and get the gist, so, all right, enjoy. Bye!
1: Okay, well, to kick things off, um, since this is all about you, Allegra, (laughs) um, I gotta know, because I don't know, I don't think, where were you born and how do you identify with that place?
2: I was born in Los Angeles, California, specifically Tarzana Hospital, and I only lived there for the first 18 months of my life. So I don't really identify. As an LA gal, at all. I still have my dad's side of the family there primarily, but I grew up pretty much with a single mom around the East Coast. So mostly Asheville, North Carolina, and Miami, Florida. And I would say I identify mostly as a Miami girl, mainly because I just liked it the best. But my mom was born and raised in. Rio, Brazil. So it was kind of the first place that I really jived. And I just love South American cuisine, all of it, Brazilian food, Cuban food, Peruvian food. So I still have a 305 area code. I'm a Miami girl.
1: I love that. What was it like to, or I guess the first question is, is your mom Brazilian?
2: So technically she's not, she's got two American parents, but in Brazil, if you're born there, you're claimed by birth um, on the land. So she has an American citizenship and passport and a Brazilian one. And then I actually had the ability because my mom is Brazilian, again, not by blood, but by land to become a Brazilian um, citizen as well. But I just had a passport when I was younger. And then when I was 18, I would have had to go there and do a bunch of court stuff and whatnot. And I did not do that. So unfortunately, I do not have my Brazilian citizenship. I am just an American girl. (laughs) Boring. (laughs) No, but seriously, I do get really excited when people are like, I have dual citizenships. My cousins have three citizenships because... My uncle stayed in Brazil and had his career there, married an English woman, and they had their kids in Brazil. So they have American, English, and Brazilian citizenship. Wow. I know. They got that's it all. That's cool. I
1: know. Yeah. Especially right now, like, you can't go to Europe unless you get that passport, so. I know. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I Wait, was, where were you born? Because I need to know where uh, you were born now. Well, I have a similar situation as far as like not feeling allegiance to my birthplace at all. I was born in Houston in the Woodlands, and um, rather than 18 months, 10 days later, (laughs) my mom got on a plane, and off we went to Santa Barbara, Um, and so I consider Santa Barbara one of my homes, but I have lived in 15 cities in six countries, and so I don't consider home to be a place It's just where the people are. So,
2: I, yeah, I what's the quote? Home is wherever I'm with you. I love yeah. that. Quote, I now yeah. feel like my official home is my partner and husband, Jake. That is, he's where home is now. And it took, you know, 30 years to find him. So I feel very, very grateful for having that hominess now. But Yeah, I'm like you. I grew up in a lot of different places. And so I always say Miami, again, because I really do like it most. I love going back there. It was such a cool place to be a tween because then I went to a boarding school in Virginia. So I wasn't even there long. Um, And then I went to college in South Carolina and then I moved to New York. So, I mean, I really didn't spend, I spent middle school in Miami and yet I still just have a strong affinity for it. But I would say I'm feeling like home is really Austin, Texas now. I've only been here since 2017 and 48 hours after I moved here to be with now husband. I knew I made the right choice and I couldn't even believe I'd been hanging out in New York for seven and a half years because I was done with it after a few. It's look, I love New York. There's so much going on there and you do get pulled into a vortex where you think everything's happening here. what could be happening out anywhere besides you know here and California? which is a crazy thing to think. there's so much happening. but as soon as I got here, I was like, oh, life can have convenience. i can I can choose to live in pretty much ninety percent sunshine with access to lakes and rivers and walking trail and greenery and not just one central park. Yeah, why didn't I do this a while ago? So I I really do feel like Texas is now home. And that was such a shock to me. Like I literally never thought that I would be a Texan. And now I'm like, I'm a real Texan. I have multiple properties in Texas. And that's the only place I've ever owned property. So I'm official. It's
1: really interesting. A lot of the people that I've brought on to the podcast. I moved here from New York and share a similar sentiment. They've bought property or like their careers are set here, even if they're the kinds of careers that don't have to belong to any one place. And I feel like there's something there. They're all creative. They're all entrepreneurs. They're all powerful. And I wonder if the grit of New York helped to develop that, you know, Um, and then, you know, the, the ability and capacity to leave that place that helped form you you know further built resilience in you to then come to a place that's really like quite livable i feel like you have the ability to stand out more because you went through living in a city that didn't hold you the way austin can you know and i do think it's such a livable city like it's so easy to live here you know it's and i say that as a person who is of a very small demographic and that comes with its own challenges but Just as far as like getting around and like you said, having access to green space and really just like, you don't have to drive far to get anywhere. (laughs) Um, Even just the vibe of the city, it's just like easy going.
2: Yeah, I do feel like the city gave me grit and I think I already, I think that's actually one of my kind of innate character aspects. I am just a gritty person. I'm resilient. If I have an idea, I will work really hard to see it through. But Factora would not exist in the way it does today if I had started this company in New York. And I am so positive of that. So I feel really fortunate that I did mosey on down to Austin, Texas before I quote unquote birthed Factora because this community has been so perfect for 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 Factora for for putting women and wealth as a a main stay topic and building a community and an education around it and just getting extreme support from everyone here it's kind of like the I always think about um you can be a small fish in a big pond or big fish in a small pond and that's definitely how i feel about austin like if i had tried to start Vectora yeah. in new york i think it would have taken me so much longer to get anyone to pay attention and here everyone was like hey that sounds pretty cool i'll come i'll come to a coffee and coin at you know saturday at 9 a.m and listen to women talk about their money sure why yeah. not
1: yeah i think you're so right and i i also think your timing was impeccable because now the city is really starting to explode and especially around tech and entrepreneurship. And so to have gotten here a few years ago, kind of before the wave was very smart of you.
2: And I even feel like I was late, but you're totally right. Uh, It's all relative. It is relative, but I'm really (laughs) seeing California and New York just kind of coast dive into Texas. And I, I am very glad that I was here a few years before that. But I I came because of South By. So I had only known Austin through the lens of South By, which obviously 30,000 people come, you know, from all over to Austin, and it just swells the normal community. So I'd only ever seen it like that. And I like Austin better without, not without it, but... (sighs) I, that's the only weekend I had ever experienced. And it was just so intense and so fun. Yeah. But I love that Austin is so approachable and you can walk downtown straight over to Lady Bird and just take like a kayak ride. Like what? Right. <laughs> you can never yeah. do that in
1: New York. Nothing even remotely yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. I really want to dive further into Factora and your like money journey, but I want to reverse first just a bit because um, I believe very strongly in attachment theory. And I believe that in large part, your, the way you were nurtured um, speaks to how you live as an adult. Um, and so I'm curious what it was like to be raised, you said, pre- predominantly by a single parent, by your mom. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What was that like?
2: how much time you got. (laughs) (laughs) It's up to you. (laughs) I mean, so I endearingly call my mother Big Red or Grande Roja. And she is a force. I mean, this woman is the loudest person you'll ever meet. Her personality barely fit on the island of Manhattan. So I'm glad I've got Texas now for her to spread out in and she is just a very vibrant very versatile intense woman so i i mean she was a single parent but she felt like a whole family you know what i mean she's just a lot and she's wonderful she um she put my education and my opportunities before her at a lot of stages, we were not in, very financially stable at times or well off. And and interestingly, my mom grew up as an expat in Brazil with like a very wealthy family. But unfortunately, she lost both her parents by the time she was 22. Pretty gut-wrenching um, to be that young without parents, but also the way that they went was not ideal. So I know that caused a lot of pain and trauma for her. And then she kind of had to figure her life out when she was quite young. She had me at 30 and her and my dad were not meant to be. So that was very short lived. Um, they got married while they were already pregnant with me and divorced very soon after they had me. So that was my mom's one and only marriage. And she kind of, I mean, if we're being really honest, she kind of just threw me in the car and and took me from LA across the country to North Carolina and raised me um, as best she could. Uh, I think she did a great job. And it was really me and Big Red for my my whole you know adolescence. And then she had actually gone to an all-girls boarding school from Brazil when she was 14. It was a school that her mom, growing up, couldn't afford to go to, but a lot of her friends had gone to, so she had always said, I have a daughter, I am sending her to this all girls' school, and she was able to do that. And so she sent my mom there. But my mom was going there from Brazil with, I mean, she spoke English, obviously, but her preferred language was Portuguese. She was used to having like maids and this, you know, very wealthy life that she kind of had to snap into shape because at boarding school, it's like you got room checks, you'll get grounded, this, that, and the other. There are no parents there. And, anyways, Fast forward to me, I um, was in Miami, loving life, thinking I was going to go to the local public high school there, like I had gone to the local public middle school, I was already on the dance team, I was ready to go, and my mom was like, I think you need to go to Foxtroft, this all-girls boarding school that I went to, and I was like, I don't want that, <laughs> no thanks, pass, and uh, he was really um like I said, focus on giving me as many opportunities as possible. So uh, we applied and I was able to get a scholarship partly on uh, my academics, which were very good, but also partially for women who had attended the school who could no longer afford to send their daughters there. So um, I was selected and I went to this all girls school for the entirety of high school. That was the only private education I had, because I then went to a public college afterwards. But um, I absolutely loved it. And that was the most selfless thing my mom has ever done for me. And she's done a lot of selfless stuff. So, so yeah, me and me and Roja, we were two, we were two peas in a pod. And we look (laughs) identical. I mean, my mom is just the taller, redder, louder, more intense version of me. Mainly because I couldn't get a word in edgewise and I love talk. So yeah.
1: I know what that's like. <laughs> that's beautiful. That was so I can just you painted it like in such a, an interesting, exquisite way. Like I, I can see it in my in my head, which is really neat. It never matter so
2: well, well thank I'll, you I'll for give staying. you Yeah, I'll give you one more visual. I found a picture okay. of us recently where we are both wearing, I was probably five or six years old, we're both wearing um, white Reeboks, the ones that Velcro matching uh, acid wash jeans, and blue blazers. So she even dressed me like her.
1: All and- of that is back in style, by the
2: way. <laughs> I know. I know. I know.
1: What does it mean to be a Gen Zer? Um, yeah. Rewind. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I got to see that picture. You got to send it to me. <laughs> okay, so now we have, you know, I don't know, we can position you. you know, we can better understand where you've come from. And so the big aching question is why money? how did how did, how does your life speak to your desire to pursue this this grand dream around financial health?
2: yeah, so so the dream. So, all the listeners are on the same page is leading a million women to a million net worth. Because I think when we have a million female millionaires, we're going to have a tidal wave of change. Women are so good at giving back, not just their learning, so that education is going to go on to their children and their friends and their networks, but also actually with their pocketbooks like women give more even though everyone knows the stats we earn less we invest less we because of those two things have less um, and that's really awesome so I think that money is extremely powerful I think it's our best tool that we have to create the life that we want and yet I think it's an extremely taboo topic and people think that money can be bad and it can equal greed and Uh, when you have too much money, you have too much power. And then there's evil. And there's like just a lot of negative associations with money. And I want to absolutely um, deconstruct that because it it can be true, but it doesn't have to be true. And I think it's more likely going to be true sometimes when we see men using money in corrupt ways. But I mean, where are the stories of like women millionaires not giving back? You know, they they don't exist. So let's get more women millionaires and see what can happen. So I've totally lost track of the question that you asked, but
1: that's the. Uh, well, that's because, the yeah, that's the passion speaking. Um, and that's also the the you being the, the pioneer and the leader and gathering all these people together to impart this incredible wisdom, which I have great respect for. But what I really, really want to know is why personally, like, why do you care about everything you just said?
2: Yeah, I think, I think there's a few things. I think from what I shared a little bit about growing up, finances were a struggle. And interestingly, for my mom growing up, they weren't for my dad growing up, they weren't both my grandfathers are quote, unquote, American dreams started with nothing, made really great wealth in their lifetime. And then both have stories where towards the end, my maternal grandfather kind of lost it all. And my paternal grandfather um, lost a good portion of it. And that's How it goes, you know, like money and the sun, (laughs) we go round and round. Like, you're going to have up times and down times. That's, you know, even when I'm explaining the stock market to women, I'm like, it's cyclical. It's supposed to be. Nothing just goes straight up all the time. No one's just happy and positive, and more so the next day and the next day. So, I think I had been the product of two parents that had. A lot of wealth growing up, and then they were struggling personally. And I saw how that uh, affects them. And then I went to this boarding school where people had wealth and were really focused on foundations and nonprofits and giving a lot of that money back. And I was like, hey, that looks pretty cool. I want to be able to do that. But to be able to give back, I need to have extra to give. And so I think those things all stuck with me. But I went into a very traditional career. I went to New York, I was working for the Estee Lauder companies. That was kind of my first real job. I was working as I was working in their digital, um, the global digital office um, across brands. Estee Lauder has like, probably more now, but they had 25 brands at the time. And I was making very little money and I was a cog in the machine and I didn't like it from day one, but everyone was like, oh my God, you have such a cool job. And I was like, yes, I'm supposed to like it. This is what I went to college for, you know, to work at a recognized company. And it just never suited me. So I actually left Estee Lauder companies to start my first uh, entrepreneurial pursuit, which I um, had a, a brand a fashion brand that made upscale bathrobes called Aim Away. And I managed to keep that going for a few years, but it never popped off like I'd hoped to. It did, however, put me into some credit card debt, um, a lot of financial stress to capitalize that business. I cash out of my 401k, you know, hashtag financial regrets. We all have them. And I had to go back and get another job because I was so financially stressed. Like I finally realized or not finally realized it actually took me a few more years down the road to recognize that just because you have an idea and you want to put it out in the world doesn't necessarily mean you're ready to do it. Because if, if you're going to do it at the cost of your own mental health, which of course going into debt and having a bunch of stress around finances is going to knock down your mental health. Um, you know be careful. So so I'm so into women living the exact life they want to, but I think that it's imperative that they have emergency funds and that if they've got debt they're managing that and that they're being really strategic so that they don't have to have this additional weight on their shoulders of financial stress when they're also trying to create beauty and value and like bring their ideas to the world. So yeah, I I think at, at some point um, in New York, working in beauty and fashion, I just felt a little empty. I think consumerism started to weigh on me. And then I actually fell into being a salary negotiation coach. I found out at one job, I was severely underpaid. I worked really hard to get a raise so that I was More commensurate with what other people were making. I mean, and it was hard. They were like, "Oh, but you're new," and I'm like, "Who cares if I'm new? Like, the numbers are the numbers." I was in sales. Like, if I'm doing just as well as the senior salesperson, like, why shouldn't I be making? If I'm making you the same amount of money, where's my money? You know. So sales is a function where you can, you know, really show people the the numbers. But long story short, I helped myself get a twenty five thousand dollars raise, and then I said, I'm going to help every friend I know do this. And I did, I turned around and started talking to all my girlfriends about how much do you make? I'd never had those conversations. And I would go on salary and Glassdoor and LinkedIn and pay scale with them and get the range and be like, okay, if you're at the bottom or if you're underneath, we can, you need to set up a meeting with your, um, you know, direct or above the, however high you can go without pissing off your direct boss. And like, we'd plan it out. Anyways helped a bunch of friends get raises and then friends of friends. And then I was like, I got to charge for this. So I started helping women do that. And I thought I had found my calling until boom, I saw the thing I couldn't unsee. And it started absolutely with me. Every time I negotiated for more money, I had some lifestyle creep happen. And I spent the more money, usually before I had gotten it. It was like, oh, I'm switching jobs and I'm going to have a $15,000 pay bump, new apartment, book a trip, whatever it was. And I started looking at my friends and they were in the same position, mainly because we felt like we'd been so underpaid, like treat treat ourselves, like let's, let's enjoy a little bit. But again, you can't fully enjoy until you have security. Like that's a baseline need from Maslow's hierarchy, right? We need basic needs met. You don't need to be stressing about paying your bills, you need to know that that's done and settled. And then if an emergency comes up, that's handled too. And so that's really what led me to a financial revolution, personally, because I was approaching 30. And I thought, holy shit, how is it that I'm so good at making money, but I have no money? Like, where is it all going? It just slips through my fingertips as soon as I get it. And I dove into every podcast and book that I could. I didn't feel like I had financial mentors in my life, like actual humans that I could talk to. So, you know, that's where you dive into the podcast world. And I really did find myself looking for one woman who was similar enough to me that I could just replicate what she was doing. And it took me a long time to figure out, like, it does not work like that. Personal finance is personal because you are coming from a different background. You have different beliefs thoughts, experiences around money. You have different goals, objectives, plans for your life. So like, there's just no one size fits all approach. And I finally had to dig in and learn about investing. It was hard. Uh, I sat on Investopedia and listened to stodgy white old dudes talk about terms that like were excruciatingly painful to (laughs) capture, but I just forced myself to do it. And then I thought this, is what I have been put on the planet to do. If I can figure this out, then I will turn around and help women do that. And so that is effectively how Factora got started. And why? Because that parent stuff I talked about, like, and then my own personal experience.
1: How did you manage this with your partner? How did the two of you get on the same page? Um, what did that look like? Like, do you do you align financially? And for those who might be listening who don't with their partners or who have partners who are resistant, or they themselves are resistant and their partner is like the leader in the financial space, what would be your advice? So it's a a two-part question. Tell me personally and then tell us universally.
2: Yeah. So my partner and I do align financially. We I was already so into personal finance when we met that it would not have worked out if he wasn't open to listening to everything I was learning about and applying all the time. He really got on board, which was great. He had a little bit of credit card debt um, when I met him. So our finances have changed significantly from just when we got together in early 2017 until now. But yeah, we are, after we got engaged last year, we decided to combine everything and really most of all to simplify things. You know, like (laughs) we had everything doubled because I had a Vanguard account, he had a Vanguard account, I had a Titan account because I was like, this is great, we got to do this. And, you know, and then like I would do it and he would do it. So we just wanted a really simple, easy, collaborative financial system. And to be very transparent, we're still working on that. Like we're still tweaking and getting it more dialed in. Um, but yes, I'm very fortunate to have a partner who absolutely loves talking about investments. And we've kind of divvied it up so that I really, um, let's let's say, well, you know, because in Factora, we teach wealth building across the three asset classes. So paper would include stock market, and then even you could put crypto in there. It would be anything that you don't hold a hard asset and then there's real estate, and then there's business. And so obviously with Factora, I'm very invested in the business asset class. We also have um, three properties. And so I'm definitely the one who's seeking out the real estate investments, but then he manages them. So like, I volley and then he catches and deals with all the back end stuff. And then the paper asset portfolio is what he primarily focuses on. So that's kind of how we've arranged ours. When it comes to partners figuring out their finances and really just getting in sync, it starts with communication. I mean, I cannot tell you, I mean, communication is really the root of everything, right? Like quality communication. But there are so many couples who don't share like where they're at right now, maybe because they're embarrassed. Maybe they think I don't have enough for like how old I am or, you know, whatever you might be making that story, or they might have debt. A lot of people have debt, nothing to be embarrassed about, just something to be proactive about. Um, And I think debt with a plan is very different than like strategic debt with a plan. I'm talking about mortgage debt or business loans or anything like that is quite different than consumer credit card debt that is likely costing you 20%. And that is outlandish. It should be outlawed. I can't even believe that it's a viable thing, but we live in America. There's a lot of credit card debt. So um, it's really, it starts with communication and then it's coming together and making a plan for like how much or how little you want to be um, financially involved with one another. And I know the gamut, even on the Factora wealth team, Jake and I, our finances are completely merged. We're married. Whitney and her husband, they're married. Their finances are completely separate. They choose what investment deals they go in on together. And those are the only things that are mutual. But everything else is different. Um, and then like Julia and her partner are a combination. This is all public knowledge, by the way. If anyone's like, I can't believe she's sharing her employees' financial details. They share it all the time on our podcast. So, But with them, they they do something very interesting like, Julia makes the W-2 salary. And so they live life off of her income. And then he is a real estate agent and they use his commissions for all their investing um, pursuits. So it's just like, Mm. there's so many ways to do it, but it it starts with communication and it's like, it's getting really real. And I, I think that financial infidelity is like one of the worst causes of infidelity. Like how bad does it if you think you're on the same page and you know things and then someone's carrying debt that you didn't know about or doing or you know making big investments that are high risk that they don't share with you like that's that's not cool so um it's just a lot of conversations and like digging in and I think Factora has gotten a like a really funny rap where people are like oh my gosh Going through Factora has really helped my relationship because, you know, all your spreadsheets, we worked on them together and I would have never considered like talking to my partner about this, that or the other financial element. And so, I mean, I'd be interested to hear like how that was with you. Did you and your partner talk about finances more when you were going through the wealth circle?
1: You know, we're open to exploring it more and more. And so through through my experience with Vactora I definitely was taking some of that knowledge and sharing it with him um the issue for him is is the student loan debt it's just astronomical and so and you know he's a little more traditional he's a he's an Ohio boy and so um you know he's he's like very he's a really hard worker and you know to the point where like would rather work hard than um ambitiously which is actually personally what i respect more to be honest um ironically but um but yeah i can sometimes you know potentially um hold back his sight from things that might actually help him more if that makes sense so it was super helpful to be in those meetings like you know during those evenings when he was home and you know it's like he's curious what's going on, whatever. Um, so yeah, so we definitely had some some discussion about it.
2: Yeah, and and you're a significant business investor. Like you have been investing in your photography business and growing that since it started. And from the looks of it, it's going pretty well. So I mean that is a huge asset class. Like the I always tell people if you look at the Forbes four hundred list of the most wealthy people, and I'm not trying to be one of the most wealthy people, that comes with a whole lot of problems. But it's just it's just the the point I'm bringing it up is because ninety percent of them, plus maybe ninety five percent of them, are entrepreneurs. That is how they built wealth. So I'm right. not saying everyone needs to become an entrepreneur, but I'm saying an entrepreneur is a form of
1: investing. Yeah. It's,
2: not only is it a form of investing, but an entrepreneur has no salary cap, right? It's right. what you make it. So that's why yeah. it's the highest risk, but it's also associated with the highest reward as that inverse
1: correlation is with investing. If it's a lower risk, lower reward, you know? Exactly. No, that's true. And I think that was really um reassuring, like learning Learning that I, I, because I, I'm me as the entrepreneur, as the owner, as the artist. So it's hard for me to see myself as an investor of my business, playing the role that I play. That's like hustle, 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 go, 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 you know? Um, And so that was really like empowering to, to frame it that way. It feels, it's confidence boosting. It makes me feel like I'm in more control that I have more, more, um, autonomy and it's actually something I've talked about in with my family as well is that like one of the most free ways you can live is to be your own boss because you are at the mercy of yourself you know you, who fires you yourself <laughs> you know like yep. who who lowers your salary yourself if the business goes under it's cuz of you you know you're not going to get a call one day that's like sorry you don't have a job you know which is a thing we saw that a lot last year you know so yep. It's one of though, like you said, it's it's high risk. It's exhausting. It has all the things that it comes with. But everything in life is a trade off. On the other, on the flip side, it's like it's one of the most freeing ways to live, you know. And that is a very, um, it's it's just like a very profound thing. It's a profound aspect of life that falls falls out of the loop for many, you know. I, um, I totally
2: so. agree, and I and I love actually being able to consider the entrepreneurs in my life, business investors, and helping them see that if they may not have. Because I think sometimes entrepreneurs who are not actively investing in the stock market might feel guilty because they're like, I'm reinvesting in my business. And I'm like, who needs a stock market growing at seven to 8% a year? If you're doubling, tripling your business, as long as you're strategic about making sure to take some off the table in the future, to, you know, put in the right places for you, you're way better off than the person who's making a 3% salary increase annually, you know, and they don't have autonomy over their day or their, um, what their
1: work is. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, that's really well said. I guess that's a great bridge to, um, my curiosity and we've talked about it before, but I want to hear you say it out loud because you say it so well. What does it mean to be financially free?
2: Oh, my, my favorite words. So <laughs> I, think, I think financial freedom is such a beautiful uh, phrase. And I think actually, I've never said it to someone who's had an aversion to it. So the only problem with it is it's almost so beautiful. No one really knows what it means. Everyone's just like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> like, I want, freedom sounds great. Financial freedom sounds even better give me some but the way we define it at factora which is um, a little bit like a math formula um, I'll start there and then I'll paint the the picture is to have enough passive income that outpaces your expenses so that you don't have to work you can have complete freedom over the one resource that is our most precious and that's time So, if you can set up your life so that you have enough money coming in to pay for your life, you're financially free. And I think a lot of people, or the majority of America, let's be honest, all think in terms of retirement. I'm going to work a whole career. And then, hopefully, by the time I'm 65, I have a pot big enough that I can stop doing this job and spend down. And not run out before I die, and hopefully have some leftover to leave a legacy for my family. And I just think that that is a really sad picture. Everyone thinking, oh, I'm gonna be working so hard until I'm old, and then I get to enjoy my time in my life. So, the reason I love financial freedom and money in general is like I said, it's a tool that we can create this time freedom way earlier by using money. So that is why I am teaching women how to invest in one of those three asset classes. You don't have to invest in all of them by any means. And there's plenty of diversification you can get within and among each asset class um, so that you can enjoy your freedom when you're young. Like I, I plan on being done in about 10 years, 10. So I will be I'm turning 35 in two weeks. I'll be 45. That's 20 years earlier than the typical retirement age, and that and that 65 age is actually increasing. I I know a lot of people working way later than 65, and it's just um, it's not something I want for the women who come through Factora. So financial yeah. freedom to
1: me is all that goodness. <laughs> Actually, the exercise that we did in the beginning with um, how would you spend a million dollars was like super eye-opening and it, it just makes me think. And I'm like, I don't know if I should say this publicly, but whatever, it's probably fine. Um, one of the things I wanted to do was to um, use however much money necessary to allow my mother-in-law to retire because she won't quit until she gets her pension. And, you know, her social security and, you know, has the reassurance that she'll have health insurance. And, and it's like, you know, it's hard to see because she's not super fulfilled. Um, Well, that's, and that's not even the right word. She's not, she's not happy where she's working. I think she loves her, um, her coworkers, but the actual work doesn't give her joy. And so it's, it's, you know, especially for someone who works in a space that that gives me joy like physical millennial right but it's really like heart-wrenching um and that's that's exactly what you just said that's her like is I have to work till a certain age so that I can live a certain way um and it's just like it's so bleak (laughs) you know so um so yeah I love that you're like fighting, I don't know, I'm very counterculture. So I'm like, yes, fight the system. Do it, Allegra. (laughs) I am
2: fighting the system. I I mean, another piece of the system that I'm really disgruntled by are financial advisors because financial advisors are this elusive um, professional with money that manages yours. I think everyone is capable of managing their own money just like we are managing our own lives. And you shouldn't really look away from that tool. You should absolutely understand it. So understanding it requires education. Okay. But when you give over your money to a financial advisor, you're basically saying, okay, you're the professional, I'm the novice, and I'm okay with that. And I'm not okay with that because why does a financial advisor, why do they only see yours? You know what I mean? Why don't they show you their portfolios? And that's what I'm trying to shift with Factora. I publicly state my salary, my net worth, my numbers everywhere, and also claim like <laughs> I am not this you know guru. I'm doing it my personal way. I am taking this education and making my own strategy and goals out of it. And that's what I want for other women. But I want to disrupt the financial advising industry because I think it's pretty bullshit.
1: What about people who say my brain doesn't work that way? I just don't get it. I'm I'm not I don't have the time. It's exhausting. I just want to pass it off. Time is money. You know, there are a lot lot of excuses that I hear that I've made (laughs) um, that are relatively valid. You know, what would you say to those people?
2: I would say that's like saying I don't have the time to raise my children. Like it's absolutely critical. And if you are someone who says I don't have the time to raise your own children, then you have to be okay with someone else raising your children and how they might turn out. So it is really easy to say I want to disassociate for something I don't from something I don't understand because I don't like it. It overwhelms me, it confuses me, enter whatever you know negative vibe you've got from it. But it's just critical. I mean, all over the world, money is exchanged for food and shelter and the things that we need and want. So it's pretty freaking imperative to to understand. And, And to be fair, it's also shitty that it is not in our education system and that people are graduating from college basically with getting, I remember being at college fairs and there was just like, credit card, like Chase and all these different credit card companies being like, come sign up, you know, and you're like, you have no idea. You don't know what APR stands for. You don't understand credit limits. You don't understand that your credit score is the only actual GPA that's ever going to count in the future. Like screw college. That, when are you going to bring up your college GPA in the future? But your credit score becomes like, the number that allows you to get mortgage financing and get a car and all these other things, rent an apartment. So I think it's really, um, crazy that we don't have a proper financial education. I also think it's probably on purpose if I'm being honest, right? Like it works better if we're a little, uh, naive or misunderstanding of the financial system because when we make mistakes, there's people who profit from it. Well, institutions that profit from it. But that's again something else I want to disrupt. I want it to be absolutely um, the opposite of those things you were talking about. I want it to be cool. I want it to be like, ooh, learning about money is like exciting. I and and that's what we see when women start factora we're basically like capture your fears right now. And then at the end, we're like, how do you feel now? And we watch the, we ask a question, what is your overall feeling towards money, one through five, and what is your confidence in financial decisions? And we watch that number shift by like two points in 12 weeks. And so it really is just that education. And then for women, that community and inspirational aspect that helps them be like, okay, yeah, this is actually something I do wanna pay attention to, totally worth it, and I, I'm invested in learning more.
1: What about, um, so like all of it sounds great, totally on board, and then we are surrounded by temptation, distractions, um, toxicity in multiple forms, capitalism, ads, social media, It's so overwhelming just to wake up and like step out the door, or even not step out the door, you can just unlock your phone, right? So, for people who are overwhelmed by seeming like it seems like there's just a lack of control to even like avoid or restrain from, you know, looking or partaking in those things, what would you say? And if I make it personal, my my advice has been especially I'm 30 now so especially in my 20s has been shopping. It's like a um it's been shopping but it's also been living beyond my means. And in part I thought that if I was going to um uphold a persona and um show up in a way that was like respected, I had to look a certain way, I had to act a certain way and i grew up relatively privileged um i say relative because my dad like busted his ass to make it make it happen you know so we lived in a lot of different kinds of places and across the spectrum and i just believe everything's relative anyway but relatively privileged right um i think even having a roof of your over is privileged but i that's a whole like long conversation i go into um And so you come from that and then, you know, I worked in the service industry, right, which I was making, you know, very little money, again, relatively speaking. Um, And so, you know, certainly not enough money to do a lot of the things I did, like travel to beautiful places and partake in bachelorette parties. And and so I'm just curious, you know, how you practice self-restraint when it's just like around you everywhere and when do you know when do you know like when to sacrifice and when not to sacrifice because to be honest I don't regret any of the places I went I maybe regret some of the things I bought but I don't regret any travel any life experience even if I threw it on a credit card so but the stress of debt is tremendous yeah. so ah, I don't even know that, that's my question <laughs>
2: Okay. So, interestingly, there are six characteristics that the majority of millionaires have or cultivate and they have nothing to do with with money. It's just characteristics. And one of them is social indifference. So, it's not the easiest thing to cultivate, but it's something I highly recommend because I mentioned a little bit earlier that every time I made more money, I also wanted more things. So my lifestyle just kept inflating. And it's really hard to control that, you know, especially if you don't have savings systems, understanding of investments, a foundation, like of financial knowledge to work from, you just end up earning money, spending money. And that's the majority of how people live, like earn spend. On top of that, it is really hard to be a woman in America. The target of marketing is on our back. We are the household CFOs, usually making the financial decisions of everything from healthcare to consumer purchasing decisions. Like pretty much everything that's going in our mouths, in our bodies, like in our homes, that's coming from from women. So like The marketing has gotten really good, right? Everyone knows that Instagram algorithm. That's like, holy, I've been looking for this exact, you know, whatever it is, white sneaker for, you know, and like, here it is. And it's only like one click to purchase. How awesome. But also, shit, they got me again,
1: you know? Yeah. So what is Wait, so I'm sorry. I know I don't want to cut you off, but I know that you're going to say it perfectly anyway. What is social indifference? Or are you getting to that?
2: No, I'll I'll go back to that. So social indifference is basically, um, you know that term keeping up with the Joneses? So like if your neighbor gets a pool, you want a pool. If they get a new car, you want a new car. It's cultivating the um, trait of not caring what's going on socially. So like, yeah, everyone's getting white sneaks they're in right now, but I'm good with my whatever, (laughs) green Adidas. So having social indifference is what, the millionaire next door has done a good job of cultivating, you may not know they're a millionaire because they're not buying new and shiny things. In fact, I have now learned from doing this work for so long that a lot of times the people who are buying the new and shiny things are the people who actually have worse financial um, foundations because they um, have not figured out spending and how to kind of keep it in alignment with their future goals right it's like it's such an easy thing to disassociate i want to live in the here and now and oh future me needs some care too so a lot of people push that off for a long time i did the same thing finally like i went on all the trips i had all the fun i did get some of the credit card debt that caused me a lot of anxiety and some sleepless nights but it's now taken care of all that matters is that you take care of it and so Factora has basically created a financial framework that is pretty foundational to getting this all in check. So the first thing is eliminate high interest debt. That doesn't happen overnight, but it's like, if you have high interest debt, writing it all down, what is the APR? What is the amount? What is the plan? And a way that you can be better at not going into further debt and to being better with your spending is something called values-based spending. So that's like the other side of the equation. I think budgeting is like dieting. It doesn't work, right? You might do it for a few weeks and then you're like, oh, I am not living. I'm going to binge and I'm going to buy whatever I want. So instead of trying to say, I've only got $50 a month to spend on eating out, And then that makes you want to eat out even more and you're like trying to fight that. My whole thing is like determine your values because when you know those, you can use them as a filter to make not even financial decisions, although we focus on financial decisions at Factora, but life decisions. So I'll give you an example of my values, which include boldness, creativity, growth, and leverage. So I can use those. All those words mean something really significant to me. So if I'm going to make a purchasing decision, I'm like, "Is this adding to my growth? You know, is it adding to my boldness? You know?" And and so that's really really helpful um, to keep your spending in check. And so once you've got your spending in check and you're working on eliminating high interest debt, most important thing you can do is have an emergency fund because that is your path to security. And when I say security, I mean feeling of, holy shit, my tires just blew out. I do not need to be worried about this because I have a pot of money exactly for whatever lemons life is going to throw at me. Once you've got those three like foundational pieces down, again, you don't have to be out of high interest debt. You just have to be working through it with a plan to month over month And I also always recommend automation. If you only have $75 to throw at that debt, then you set up an automation that it's 75, you know, instead of trying to remember. Like the the more things that we cannot have our brain say, ooh, but should I really part with that because maybe I'll need it, the better. Like if it's just working in the background, you're gonna be a lot better off. So managing and working towards eliminating high interest debt, spending in alignment with your values, and having an emergency fund are just going to change your life, going to change your life. After that, now we can make financial goals for the future. Like, what do we want to do in the near term? Because we should be saving for that in cash. You don't want to put that capital at too much risk, right? Because you need it in the near term. And beyond that, what can you be investing for the long term? Because you want that money to be working for you. Like, I always think of money in a checking account, like sitting on a couch. It's just sitting there eating potato chips. It's doing nothing. Money in investments, it's like putting her on the treadmill. She's on the Peloton. She's like, I'm going to make you more money. Let's go. But obviously you're going to feel overwhelmed until you're educated on how to start investing and what accounts to open, et cetera.
1: I'm curious kind of to wrap this up, with a, a bow I feel like your bow would not be a bow though. I don't know what it would be. What color would it be, Allegra? Green. You said green. You do love green.
2: I love green so much. Hey, like, I wonder why. It would be emerald green and it would be one of those bows that are like several. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. Like it wouldn't Voluminous. even have it wouldn't even have tails. It
1: would just be like a bunch of bubbles. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's yeah, that's great. If I ever give you a gift, that will be your bow. Um, now I'm
2: like, wait, what does your bow look like? <laughs> What's the Riley bow? What color is it? And what what is it for? Me I to take.
1: I definitely don't like bows. I'm not a bow girl. <laughs> um, so what I envision is like some abstract shape that doesn't exist. <laughs> I need something like tattered, and I don't know what color would it be. Probably like a rust color, like a wine color. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I would probably take up the entire box. Maybe my bow would just wrap around the box, <laughs> it's but completely like, engulf
2: Is it a fabric, like a, a like a? Yeah,
1: a I do envision a fabric. Yeah, but I think it's like opaque.
2: I can kind of see it. This is funny. We should try and give each other our bows
1: one day and be like, I know. It? <laughs> I, know. I feel like I didn't describe mine at all, but yours, I can, I can totally see." Maybe mine would be made it. out of like it would be made out of um, a tree or something, you know. I actually okay, I, did a self portrait the other day, and it was not of a person because I, I mean, I can paint, but I can't really draw. Everyone can draw, but my drawings don't look good. And I was like, well, I can, I can draw like you know things that are in nature. And I actually, if I, if I could, it was a, it was a self portrait of, of your future self. So I was like, okay. I want my future self to be like nature. I want to just like be, I want to just exist. If the wind blows, I want to blow. If it's sunny, I want to soak up the sun. Like I just want to like go with whatever's happening easily, breezily. So I drew waves and a sun and flowers. Anyway, so maybe my maybe my bow would actually be an earthly element.
2: Okay. I love this so much. I, I kind of want to try it. First of all, I haven't drawn in ages. And now, just the idea of drawing like a self-portrait of future you is so cool. I, I think I'm gonna do that.
1: You should do it. Send me a picture of it.
2: Okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm on. I'm on vacation. <laughs> we're, we're we're recording know, this from yeah. my hotel
1: room. So I'm like, I'm gonna to go <laughs> the
2: pool after this and do some sketches. They're I can't be really wait bad. to see
1: it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'll send you mine. It's absolutely horrific. <laughs> um yeah. What was I gonna say? Oh, one of the best gifts I ever got actually was last summer. And it had low quats on it. That was that was um wrapped up in in the twine. It wasn't it was the twine it was twine.
0: Yeah. Real so edible are, low
1: loquats. Oh yeah. Real edible low quads. Yeah. And she's one of my best friends. So she, there you go, she gets me. <laughs> awesome. I have yeah. a so,
2: tree in my backyard if it survived the freeze. T B D. We're we're oh waiting Oh I hope
1: I hope so. Those are amazing. I know. Uh, So awesome. Okay. I want to know why I have two more questions. I want to know what entrepreneurship has taught you. All the things, uh,
2: it's taught me to be humble. It's taught me to be patient. It's taught me to be resourceful. It's taught me to be full of gratitude. It's taught me that you can't do it alone and you really need community and like grounding love and support when times get tough and they will. Um, It's taught me vulnerability. The better question would be what has entrepreneurship not taught you? Cause I could just keep (laughs) listing out the attributes.
1: What lesson could you impart on someone who wants to start a business? If they were like, Allegra, I want to start a business and I am lost. If you could teach them one lesson from what you've learned that would help them start that business, what would you say? I have two. (laughs) Can I have two? Of course you do. Yes. Okay. (laughs) the rules.
2: Well, one would be, one would be to seriously consider your personal finances before you start a business. Just, just, just try and give them some more consideration because I think it is so incredible the people who are willing to risk and start companies. But now that I've done it both ways in debt, without money to capitalize the business and a lot of stress and properly prepared, a lot of money saved, even my investment accounts, like can, like earmarked for if I needed extra capital. I can tell you the latter is so much easier on your nervous system and mental health. So that's the pre thing. And then in terms of um, what I would say for an entrepreneur getting started, I would say I would, I would say to make sure to be fluid with your idea, because I think that everything takes shape differently than you might imagine, and that you do not need to have it all figured out when you get started. I started Factora with the words women and wealth in my mind. It was just those words. I was like, I got to do something to help women get more wealth know what it was going to be first I thought it was going to be an in-person thing COVID hit now it's an online you know like it has evolved be okay with that um and and really I think it's Seth Godin who says ship before you're ready I believe in that so much you are only gonna learn by doing that is how you become an entrepreneur you just become one So make sure your finances are good and then be fluid with like how it goes, but just
1: get it out there. Get your genius into the world. Okay. Give us one book that's changed your life and why did it change your life? A Happy
2: Pocket Full of Money. I know that that sounds so cliche because I talk about money, but this book is legitimately not about money. It's about quantum physics and the law of attraction. It's by David Kigande, and it it will blow your freaking mind. It is the most incredible book I've ever read. I'm rereading it right now. I'm going to reread this sucker every six months of my life. Um, It's just like you you will read words that are going to feel so foreign and so shocking and then so true and so pure and like universal truth I
1: recommend it highly you should be his publisher <laughs> I'm gonna read it I'm excited I, I love reading and I especially love books that I heard a quote recently by an artist I mean a writer I really like well he basically is an artist and he said that his, his intention when he writes is to ensure that the words live beyond the pages and that is that is That is what makes a good book when it sticks with you forever, you know, so I love that you you picked a book that wasn't necessarily like trending or like grandiose. It sounds like it was, but that is evergreen and timeless, you know,
2: no, someone so interestingly I was on a woman's podcast and as a thank you she sent me this book and I think Mm. I thought like she just kind of picked it up because the title had money in it. So I just had it on my bookshelf and ignored it for a year and a half because I thought it was such a nice gesture, but I'm like, I've read all the money books. I don't read enough. I don't, I'm not in the mood to read another money book. And when I did finally pick it up, I was just blown away because it is about the, the, the spirit of life and how we are all interconnected and our consciousness and our, um, subconscious and how we get those desires to the forefront and it gives you formulas for how to use gratitude and like yourself and your spirit and your connectedness with the world
1: to achieve the most beautiful life so
2: Mm. highly recommend
1: it wow all right I didn't prep you for this one but if you could talk to yourself 10 years ago what would you tell that girl
2: Open a brokerage account. I mean, just open it up, automate $100 a month. You're spending it on partying in New York anyways. You can live without it and let that account compound. Never touch it. Don't look at it. Don't worry about it. Literally just automate so that you have future money waiting for you.
1: Beautiful. I hope everybody listening goes and does that if they haven't already. <laughs> and the it's easiest way so to do scary.
2: that. Yeah, and the easiest way to do that is to just go to nerdwallet.com. All that is is a comparison site and type in best brokerage accounts or institutions month and date and you will see them ranked and it's hundreds of people who are like commenting and putting feedback. So it's a really great place for any financial um Account or product that you might need if you're looking or comparing credit cards or loan anything, Nerd Wallet. They should really they should make an affiliate with me because I'm like constantly being like, don't take Factora. Like we are agnostic. We do not care. Like well, we care how you invest. We want you to do it strategically, but we don't We do not care what institution you use. We care that you are preparing adequately for your future so that you and your loved ones are safe and can enjoy autonomy over your life.
1: Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you immensely. I'm so grateful to, I forget how we even got into each other's orbits, but we've stayed, that's what matters. Um, And yeah, I just love getting to know you in all the different capacities. And thank you for trusting me to photograph you and your team and, you know just to create imagery that represents your brand i mean that that's huge it means so much to me so
2: well yeah. riley i appreciate you thank you for having a podcast like this that goes deep on people and their background i never really get asked my you know from where i was born to how i was raised so This is the first time I've kind of divulged that. And again, I'm like an open book with the finance stuff, but I love how personal you get. And I I appreciate you for sharing these stories, not just, you know, in this audio format, but obviously how you photograph the world and people and brands and bring them
1: to life. Thank you for doing that for Factora. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love how, I don't know, it's just great when you can get with people who are, making moves in a way that will stand the test of time.
0: That was serial entrepreneur, real estate investor, dog lover, and the creator of Factora Wealth, Allegra Brantley. You can learn more about Factora Wealth and the Wealth Circle, which I joined this past spring at factorawealth.com. And you gotta peep some of the images we took together too. They're magic. Thank you so much for taking the precious time out of your day to join us for this important conversation. Your presence here means everything. We'll be back soon. And don't forget, have a beautiful day even if it's not that beautiful.